Hello, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And uh, today, we'll be collectively catching up on cinema, uh, courtesy of our guest host today, my brother Matt. Hello. So Kyle, I have to ask, was this the worst movie you've ever seen in your life? I've seen some really bad movies, uh, but yes, this might actually be the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I got some pretty angry texts back from Kyle, like, while he was watching this, actually. I see I hadn't watched it yet, so I was like, oh god. Oh god, what is this? So, Matt, what was it that you had us catch up on? A little-known film called The Dark Backward. I was excited about it, because I saw the cast, and I'm like, Bill Paxton... Uh, Wayne Newton of all people yeah, and then Judd Nelson like the dark background like ooh this sounds intriguing like this sounds interesting yeah and like Laura Flynn Boyle who was probably just stepping off the set of Twin Peaks at the time it's like yeah I could see this being like a quirky good time you know even the name it's like yeah this seems like straight out of 1991, but... And then you've got fellow Rat Packer Rob Lowe in there too. Okay, yeah, this, this should be fun. Yeah, was... he made the front credits. I don't really know why, but... <laughs> he was huge at the time. Yeah, this was in 91, I want to say, when it came out. Yeah, so. 91. Yeah, 1991. Yeah. The biggest reason that I think this movie warranted a watch is that you will not see a movie where the producers and whoever were the money folk literally contribute nothing. Like, you don't see that in this day and age. And actually, like, what drew me to actually finally breaking down watching this movie was all the discussion you're seeing around the James Gunn thing in Disney, mm. where you're talking about this well-established director who's made a billion-dollar franchise, essentially have nothing, and all of a sudden he's canned for something that happened 10 years ago, and there's all sorts of debates whether that was warranted. My opinion of that has always been that it was because he had reached a place where he had established himself as being so financially viable that he deserved creative freedom. Mm -hmm. And when you consider his background coming from making those schlocky horror fest films, when you consider his past tweets that got him into trouble, which are dealing with kitty diddling and all these awful things that should not be out there, that puts an executive in a company in a tough bind to essentially be like, yeah, you deserve the freedom to make what you want, but... What happens when we let you run free and do whatever you want? Well, you get the fucking dark backward. <laughs> so that to me was what was so fascinating was watching it because you're right. That cast at the time especially was pretty big. Yeah. And from what I understand, they were all drawn to it because they really loved the script. Like John Nelson actually went to clubs in Los Angeles and performed the material from the movie wow. to bomb just to prove to the director that he cared so much about it. Wayne Newton agreed to do it at a major discount just because he felt like the character was so realistic to people he'd worked with. Wow. So there's a lot of components to this that was fascinating to me that from looking at it just from a cinema standpoint, mm -hmm. not from actually the product itself, because the product is dog shit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, pure <laughs> dog shit. I mean, it revels in it. it. It practically, like, there's garbage literally in every scene. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> like, every scene. So, I mean... <laughs> no, I, I'm kind of... Now I'm kind of intrigued because to to think of the script being being the element that brought people to this project because there's a lot of there's a lot of quirky personalities in this cast like mm -hmm. Laura Flynn Boyle she's got a little bit of a screw loose Rob mm. Rob Lowe has done some funky stuff like these are people who are are okay with the strange like but I know the director his primary background is that of a writer but the script in this movie what ended up on the like what ended up getting onto the celluloid is just 
crap. Yeah, I want to know where it went wrong. Where did it? No, even structurally though, like the dialogue is most. It feels mostly improvised. Like the structure of the story is meandering and feels totally without substance. It. I don't really understand. This feels like one of those jokes, like an Andy Kaufman esque joke, where it's like the only person who gets this is the person who's making it. <laughs> but. Yeah. Based on the the quality of the performances, though, not the script, but the quality of the performances, you can tell, you can see that passion. Like you can see that these these people believed in this, because Judd Nelson is not half-assing it. No, he was a major star when this came out too. Like, and in fact, like he was actually like a borderline like action star, I believe. Was this after Saint Elmo's Fire? So, so this was what post Breakfast Club, post Transformers the movie. Pre steel, <laughs> so yeah, he was. He still had some shine on him. No, I, I mean he was kind of a big thing for. Yeah, him. he had a, he had a moment there. So. Absolutely. I, let's let's go over the story and I'll yeah, discuss yeah. some of my let's, thoughts. Let's on actually what you're let's actually here, get so. into what the dark back. And, and I'm really curious to see just oh let the hatred flow because this was not <laughs> you were not intended to enjoy this. This, <laughs> this as was fucked up as that sounds. This like. is the first time I've met Matt, and this is. This was my introduction. It's like, oh, this is the, the movie my brother decided we should watch for the podcast. Like, yeah, I was oh, like, okay. hey, Kyle, how about we do a guest slot this time? Let's see how that works out. It's like, you son of a I was like, this is, a, this is almost like getting a glimpse into who I'm meeting. I'm like, this is not a good start. <laughs> this, is, this is weird. I'm surprised you didn't like shake his hand and look at him cockeyed. Like, <laughs> like, he cleared it up before he got here. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that, that's a good reason. That's a good reason. But go ahead, yes. Yeah, Trevor, run us through. What is okay. the Dark so, Backward? So, very, very brief summary. The Dark Backward takes place in some nether realm of some sort. This is not real. Real. This is not the real world. Mm. Um, like Matt mentioned, there's garbage everywhere. Um, there's this singular brand. Blumps. That, Blumps is completely ubiquitous like Owns across everything. Every building, every bit of signage you see, every advertisement you see in this film... It uh, belongs to this Blumps, like, pork company of some sort. Never explained. Which is, it's never explained, but it shows an attention to detail, which I appreciate. It contributes nothing other than a couple of little Easter eggs here and there. So Coming out of the 80s, too, that was a big thing in cinema, having that, that was the birth of the corporate world. Oh, okay. So you saw a lot of films would feature kind of these all-encompassing corporations that Conglomo. just own everything. Yeah. OCP. Yeah, so, so it, that was very much kind of a playful riff on that, I think, yeah. too, of um, just the shitty universe that these characters exist in that has already been taken over by this corporate entity and they're just kind of floundering on the outskirts. Yeah, you can tell they're they're like the wretched refuse of this world. Like uh, our two central characters are in fact garbage men and spend quite a bit of their time, their free time, just rifling through garbage so they can take shit home to their garbage apartments. <laughs> so our central character is Judd Nelson, who, as Matt mentioned, uh, is an he's attempting to be a stand-up comic, and his best buddy in the world, Bill Paxton. <laughs> who is just grinning and mugging more so than I think I've ever seen a human being do. Like, just the, the lengths to which he takes this performance is just 
there's over the top and then there's like Pacino level over the top and then there's this. I don't know what to call this. It's if you take Bill Paxton from True Lies and then Bill Paxton from Weird Science and then that gross thing she turns him into at the end of Weird Science and put it all into one. I feel like that's what he is in this. The shit monster. The shit monster, yeah. He's just all those things into one. That's, that's actually an amazing comparison. <laughs> like, well, well done, Kyle. Yeah, that, that really, really encompasses the dark background. <laughs> so... We have Judd Nelson, who's trying to be a stand-up comic. His buddy, Bill Paxton, who is helping him try to be a stand-up comic. And then they hit a little speed bump at some point, because Judd Nelson develops a little bump on his back. Honest to God, I forgot about that until just now. The single most important plot development in the well, movie. Because <laughs> all I'm thinking of is, now when I think back to it, I just think of the set. Like oh. the set design, that I just that's that's, that's mostly what this head. movie. Is. I think you're on to something there, though, because I think that that's a central part of this theme of this movie is that while he gains this grotesque like extremity, yeah, <laughs> it's actually not the grossest thing you see on <laughs> it's film, not at all by any stretch. In fact, it's kind of like playful and funny and almost sweet in an endearing sort of goofy way. Yeah, and I think that that's part of how this movie operates is it's supposed to be like imagine if you were you find out your buddy just grew an arm out of his back it would be horrifying but <laughs> in this universe it's actually just kind of like a novel like oh okay yeah it's it's treated as like a profitable element of his being um so this this bump that he has on his back as matt mentioned grow, eventually grows into an arm which uh after ha- hooking up with a uh, wayne newton who their talent agent uh, they try to exploit as a means to get his comedy off the ground without putting any effort into developing his comedy. So it's, he's just a comedian, a shitty comedian, with an arm growing out of his back. And from there, it's it's supposed to be like a rise to fame kind of story that doesn't... Like, if if you were to like lay out the, the, the ground covered by this story... It's probably like three feet. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, not a, it's not a journey of miles or hours. It's more just like... Oh, we moved like three feet down the road. That's nice. Can I bring up uh, the director, Adam Rifkin? I believe okay. that's who it was. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if he was a writer, but I believe he directed or wrote Mouse Hunt, Small Soldiers, and Detroit Rock City. He wrote City. Mouse Hunt. He wrote he Mouse Hunt. He did not direct I, I was going to say. I think he directed Detroit Rock City. If yes, I recall, that was the, his big one. And that, then, was, that was one that jumped out at me in his uh, wiki or his IMDb. And what about Small Soldiers? Was uh, He may have directed that one. Okay. Uh, Phil Hartman's last film. Right. I feel like that movie too kind of went through a developmental hell where yeah, it was like did. half done by some people and then other people jumped in and contributed. Like it shows, actually, it so. shows in the tone because it's kind of a nasty film. It, I actually ways. just rewatched yeah. it a couple of months ago. It's it's kind of dark. I remember as a kid, like it was kind of dark. No, it, it's actually it's very dark. It's yeah. somewhat violent, and there are some some genuinely unsettling images, and it has it's mean spirited at times too. <laughs> Sounds very much like the dark back. <laughs> mean spirited, yeah. Jeez. I mean. These characters are are garbage people. <laughs> like it feels like we're hanging out in the gutter, kind of more or less. But complete complete tangent on my part. Sorry, but um, I mentioned early on the concept of a children's story of a fable. That's what came to mind the whole time I was watching this. It felt like okay. it should have been a twenty minute or fifteen minute animated short or something, or a or a story you would read to your kid for 
like a bedtime story. Well, it literally opens that way. Yeah, and it, it, it literally opens that way like, with like carnival music, the yeah. most annoying it fucking would, soundtrack I've heard in ages. I, it was driving me nuts too. I had a feeling it would drive it's me nuts. It's so as well. overbearing and just the instrumentation is beyond cheap. It's yeah. awful and it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, did you notice? Both of you. Both of you. <laughs> did you notice how many like fucking weird noises were in the background of every scene? It's just like tones and ticks and stuff just in the background. It's, well, the scene stupid with, Felix the cat clock in his apartment. <laughs> every time we see Laura Flynn Boyle's character, uh, the TV that they have is playing the exact same thing. It's the same noise. I don't know if that's just to be like, this lady's losing her mind. Like, right. Yeah, but uh, Max Payne. Yeah. Do you, remember, do you remember the what, Baseball Bat Boy show or whatever? Yeah. That's what it reminded me of was, the, was that show that's just on in the background. That and Robocop. The, I'd buy that for a dollar show that everyone thinks is the most hilarious fucking thing in the world, but we as the audience don't even get an inkling of what it's about. <laughs> just we keep cutting to people just going, ah, he said the thing. Well, we'll get into that when we get towards the, the conclusion of the film, because I think it's tied into that when he makes his big break, actually. Yeah, and again, keep in the back of your mind while we're talking about this, I do think this was meant to be like a children's book or something. Because if, if you think of it in, in those terms, I could see it actually being pretty good if you trimmed all the fat and all the weird shit, of which there's a lot. innumerable instances... <laughs> I get what you're saying, because, I mean, Bill Paxton's almost a cartoon character, just in the movie. Like, well, he's just so over the top. I mean, if you break if you break the story down to its bare essentials, it's like you have your schlubby hero, he gets a weird thing about him, mm -hmm. he uses the weird thing to get, like, a taste of happiness, the weird thing's taken away from him, and then he has to learn how to be himself. See, I would argue, like, put it this way, like, what perspective do you think this movie was told from? Like, by that, do you feel like this was a movie where you're just observing people in a universe interacting? Because I'll tell you what I thought was, when I watched it, I got the impression that everything you're seeing is through Judd Nelson's character's perspective. Mm -hmm. And with that, you're taking into account his neuroses, you're taking into account how anxious he is. Mm -hmm. So his performance on stage truly isn't him that being that bad. That's why he sweats mm -hmm. profusely. Yeah. That's why he's super awkward. That's why he stutters. That's why his girlfriend seems so indifferent to him all the time, when in fact she's probably just a casual character who's interacting with him off and on, but he is so desperate to have her attention, to have her be supportive, and she's not. It's interesting you say that because I did notice that for people doing stand-up comedy, you have hecklers. There's right. not a single heckler. I was, I was exactly. Like, just no one gives a shit. And yeah. that's where I was, where I think with Bill Paxton's character, I think that's why he was so over the top was because he's supposed to represent the dipshit friend who's actually more charismatic more kind of has the personality of the comedian, draws people's attention. Like, no matter what he does, he seems happy. He seems like he's enjoying things. He's the happiest. Well, he's the happiest. Yeah, but he's also a disgusting human being. Exactly. And that's where it's kind of tied to it, too. If you're a struggling comedian, that's how you view it. The guy who, oh, it comes so easy for him. He just goes out. People love him. Mm. They eat it up. You know, he does whatever the hell he wants. Like, that to me was kind of how I saw it more okay. so was that, like, Wayne Newton is. Obviously, he's a greasy guy. He's a talent agent, but he's exceptionally greasy because, from Jed Nelson's perspective, 
He's just looking at him as, how's this guy going to fuck me over? Mm. That's why sometimes he has a mustache. I noticed that. It's like when he's especially greasy, he has a mustache. When he's being kind of a supportive, more father figure, it disappears. Like, yeah, see, I hadn't thought of that. Like, oh, don't make me watch this again. The entire reality of it is, is very exaggerated. Everyone feels like a caricature. And I especially see it with Bill Paxton's character. Because that performance... Yeah, it, it's way over the top. I mean, like, but it was way over the top, but it was also very clearly guided because it was far too consistent to just be over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some instances in there where he's like downright terrifying. Like, right. I remember mm-hmm. there's one scene um, when he's very excited that he got Wayne Newton's business card and he's handing it over to him and the lighting is very dark. They're in, a, they're in Judd Nelson's apartment and he's, his eyebrows are shooting up to his hairline he never blinks, and everything he says is screamed, and he's, like, vibrating with just energy. I like how my brother points out this scene, not the necrophilia scene that happens before. Oh, I wrote that shit down. <laughs> That's when I text you, I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> that, that, to me, actually really upset me. And the only thing I can think that it might be in there for, uh, I, I don't know the timeline, but what I will say is that I think that Bill Paxson, as an actor, is so charismatic and likable and I think especially in this era when this film came out, that they had to throw something in there just to really emphasize that, like, no, you can't like this guy. Like, you need to hate this character. That's interesting. I think you might be right on that. And and it was way over the top, and it was gross. And and actually, that scene alone makes it so I will never watch this movie again, because it it actually really bothered me. Everything outside of it, though, I see bits and pieces where it's surrealism. It's not great, but it's... Well, that's, that's like one scene that I don't... I can't really place it like I, I don't understand why it's there I, yeah, I, I, other I than think he's, yeah. for like purely utilitarian purposes like in terms of contributing to the actual structure of the story it, it brings nothing to the table and I kind of viewed his character as like the person who who is wanting the fame more than Judd Nelson he's encouraging but to, for his own means yeah like, no he, he wants an escape and in many ways, he's far more desperate than Judd Nelson. In fact, Judd Nelson's character doesn't seem terribly concerned with fame or fortune. He just wants a- acknowledgement, like you had mentioned. Uh, think about, like like you were saying, that they put that the necrophilia, necrophilia scene. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, is sexual assault on a corpse considered necrophilia? Is it all just bundled into one thing? I'm just, I, we'll just say yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll just, just say yes. Yeah, it, it's about, a very bad thing. But <laughs> think about... <laughs> How I feel about Walton Goggins because <laughs> we always bring him up. Don't but we? no, but this this is relevant because in uh, Predators, 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 like he's a piece of shit in that movie. But I still like him. Like he, you're not supposed to like him in that movie. And there's that horrible bit of dialogue where he's talking about all the stuff he wants to do when he gets out, and yeah. it's so poor. It's a terrible line. Yeah. Like, but I, I agree. Like that stands out again because it if you. Take out that line. He's actually a really likable, exactly. crazy serial killer. He's the most affable serial killer. Yeah. Ever, like ever, actually, ever everything made. about him is likable. He he sacrificed yeah, himself. He, he, he like, took a bullet for that whole crew. But he got regard, the juiciest yeah. death. They should have had him kiss on Danny Trejo's neck for a little bit, and we would have been like, "This is a disgusting character. We don't want to like him at all." <laughs> there they, you go. They could have but, taken. But, a, but I agree. Like I think that that was very much kind of put in there as well. Like. To, as a reminder to the audience, like you need to hate this guy. Yeah. And I think with Bill Paxton's character, especially if you're looking at it from perspective, maybe if this is coming from John Nelson's perspective, like even at the end, like I agree with you, he seems more desperate in his in the way he carries himself, but he still leaves with his girlfriend to go to Hollywood. Yeah. Like he's still 
wears the same shitty garbage man outfit mm-hmm. when he starts performing with John Nelson. Like, he doesn't change who he is. This is true. Like, even when it, they start getting relatively like famous, like, he doesn't start eating non-garbage items. Like, <laughs> he continues to eat the grossest stuff you can imagine. I mean, uh, the chicken, to me, I think, was the oh, grossest dude, image I in could, the whole movie. I could not handle that. That's why I can't make things like, you know, fajitas or whatever. <laughs> <where> <laughs> like, so... The doctor, James Caan. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at, now I'm thinking about it a little bit differently. And again, this kind of plays into your theme of exaggerated characters. Because mm-hmm. imagine being being Judd Nelson's character. Well, I mean, imagine being the writer of this fucking movie. Or imagine being a person, not, not even anyone associated with these characters, just a person who walked this path. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point we've all been to a doctor who thought we were wimpy or, yeah. or you know stop being a pussy or something like that. <laughs> like yeah there's crazy. a lot of instances in this movie where like characters have interactions with each other that feel like slice of life moments that the writer was maybe projecting a little bit well my oh go ahead i was yeah, just saying well, that, that makes me think well james Con, but uh real quick the nurse so i thought it was odd because the nurse is hot uh, i'm just gonna say and she's like coming on to him and like out of nowhere Maybe that's his perception. Like she's really friendly, and he was right. he was taking that as yeah. she's hitting on me. Yeah. Like no, she was just being really friendly to that, me. And that's that's, that's kind of exactly what I was thinking too. Because like in in actuality, like you know, he's he's just this hopeless guy who has no social skills. Yeah. And so of course he's gonna see somebody who dolls himself up for work and is exceptionally friendly. He's like, oh, she's coming on she's to me. Coming on to me here. Like, no. Oh, the one sequence that made me laugh more than anything in this whole movie is that when you first see James Conn. Oh, he's great. And he's washing his hands and he cuts himself <laughs> and he just goes, ah, fuck! And then he starts sucking on his things and then he just immediately goes to like deal with his patient. It's I, just... Yeah. The band-aid for me. Him just like... Yeah. And yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen this a million times. Well, it all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I had a legit laugh. I like James Conn and I, you know, like I said, the performances in this movie are not actually that bad like i i do think bill paxton is annoying but i don't think it's a low effort performance this is like the only movie i think i've seen him in that i just didn't like him no he annoyed the shit out of me yeah i wanted him to go away but there was a lot of him there's there's that one scene where he invades judd nelson's apartment and like pressure pressures him into he basically exploits him yeah. <laughs> and it kind of like sums up their relationship it's right it's hinted at like the movie teases this quite a few times early on but that one scene is when it finally becomes clear that ah it's not a hundred percent genuine relationship that these two have that like there is there is someone who is making demands of the other one mm-hmm. like, it's not a friendship <laughs> i mean they, they are co-workers so there's kind of that side of it, it too. It is and it so. isn't, but it's an abusive relationship where Bill Paxton is definitely trying to exploit Judd Nelson to to get something, to get somewhere in life. Because that's also like his his probably his lowest moment in the story is when he's hanging out with those ladies. He's expressing some very dark thoughts that are not positive in any way, but no. he's covering it up with booze and, and boobs. <laughs> boobs and boobs. <laughs> Boo- booze and boobs. He's also having a... You know, with fatal four away with <laughs> three three hundred plus pound women. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong. Not there's anything wrong with that. But um, I was going to ask. So, is there a reason why Judd Nelson is insanely skinny in this movie? Yeah, I didn't know he was that small. He's not. I, yeah, I didn't think he was. I that really stood out too. I uh, 
Cause and look at John Bender. Like John Bender was kind of a big dude. I mean, well, he granted, was, he was like he was taller than Emilio Estevez, but so was everybody else. Well, uh, and he had leather gloves. But like you can still see he had a build to him. Like he was he right. Still had some no, he, on him. he looked like he was a sixteen-year-old when he'd have his shirt off in this movie. Like yeah, I thought, like he, it was really awkward. Like no, I was, thought he was paid in painkillers. Like he just looked so skinny. Yeah, he was he bird-chested and like his part, arms were noodles. Like, yeah, no, just, he was he was. Physically very, very small. He looked like Adrian Brody before Predators or something. <laughs> I was going to say he looked like Christian Bale in The Machinist. Oh, uh, well, no, it's not that far, but, you know, far. Crazy skin. It, it was still pretty, yeah, noticeable. It, it was very awkward. Uh, I don't know enough about him in that era, to be sure. honest, oh. but... But that is something that stands out. Well, if he if he was so committed to the character, yeah. like you said, he was going to comedy clubs and doing stand up. Is he just maybe John? Maybe John Bender is <laughs> Judd Nelson. Is Judd Nelson? Maybe he is actually like a beefier guy, and he's like, I'm supposed to be playing early. Like really sad, introverted, socially awkward guy. Maybe he went more method with this and just lost a bunch of weight to look. Even well, I, more. I think that's a fair. It assumption. clearly meant yeah. something to him, so I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped a few pounds just for this role. Yeah. I mean, he certainly—it's a—it's what I like to call a complete performance, mm-hmm. where head to toe he's in it. Where it's like when we were talking about Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble, which has some parallels to this movie. You know? <laughs> uh, it's where it's where not only is the the actor like saying the lines he's really feeling them he's putting every inch of his body into it like his body language really impressed me in this movie like he he's definitely putting himself he's contorting himself into some very unnatural shapes that lend a little something to the performance even though it's in a shit movie (laughs) and he's also wearing heavy prosthetics on his back which probably was very uncomfortable oh yeah no, it, that was noticeable. The only other thing I can think of is maybe he was just one of those guys that it was just never natural uh, when he looked bigger, and that that this is more what his natural body weight awesome. is when he's not really put bulking up for a role. Oh, like you said, um, next to Emilio Estevez, everyone looks pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So any, they start getting a little successful with Wayne Newton. He finally agrees to take him on when he develops the third arm, and that becomes their act. It's Bill Paxton playing the accordion on stage. John Nelson comes out, tells a shitty joke, and then he does this little twirl, and everyone gets to see the arm. And they're a freak show. Yeah, um, again, he never <laughs> d- devotes any time to really developing his jokes. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> Kyle is imitating the twirl right now. Like, I, I thought it was funny. I actually thought the twirl was kind of funny. Because it's so awkward. Yeah, it's a. It's not... See, when I use the word twirl, twirl usually has like an element of like velocity, some you know, the some kinetic man, energy behind it. The elephant man could turn quicker. Yeah, th- this is this is like just like a penguin just like shuffling <laughs> around circle, in a circle with with a third arm that's clearly on fishing line being hoisted up and down. It and it takes like a full twenty seconds to complete, and yeah, Bill Bill Paxton is just mugging and you know plugging away at that accordion the whole time. Oh yeah, and then. Like, one of the key developments in their act is that Bill Paxton decides to switch from the left to the right. (laughs) (laughs) So this this act goes from just being man with arm, and Wayne Newton's like, nah, nah, we gotta get some music in on this. And then it's like, nah, nah, we gotta get the music moving from left to right. There's actually a pretty funny scene when uh, 
the one club club owner, the guy with the cow, the, <laughs> the heavy set gentleman with the cowboy hat, like instead of taking issue with the third arm and or the, the shitty comedy or yeah. the shitty or comedy the accordion. or the accordion, he takes issue with <laughs> why is that man with the accordion moving around all the time? He keeps jumping from left to right. He, <laughs> he's asking he, the important questions. Yeah, he flips his shit so bad that he kicks them out. <laughs> Purely because Bill Paxton has, like, restless leg syndrome or something. Twinkie Doodle shut that shit down. He's like, don't move back and forth, man. Oh, yeah. Just Twi- stay in one Twi- spot. Twinkie Doodle is our uh, climax. He, I, I thought he was funny. I don't know why. Well, let's get into it then. Let's, let's yeah, get... I mean, we're there. Twi- Twinkie I mean... Doodle is uh, the equivalent of the I'd buy that for a dollar show in this universe. <laughs> Twinkie Doodle is on TV in the background of a lot of scenes in this movie. Yes. Um, think Most of, like, notably, a really dark captain kangaroo kind yeah, of yeah it's, it's like howdy doody or captain kangaroo or was froggy the gremlin <laughs> one, Nobody knows what yeah you know, one, one of those one of those old-timey variety shows basically mm-hmm. um most notably um judd nelson's mother is watching the show oh, God, pretty much every scene we see her in um so yeah the, uh the climax of the movie is basically uh wayne newton manages to uh, score our fellas a gig on that on the Twinkie Doodle show. And Kyle, you sound like you had some thoughts on Twinkie Doodle. No, we should put a pin in the mo- uh, his mother though. Mm-hmm. I think she's. I've completely forgot. But I think she's an important character. Yeah, she is. Especially yeah. looking yeah. through the way you're looking. Well, at Well, yeah, yeah, through through the lens you're talking about. Through, like I could totally see this character or this writer having that kind of relationship with their mother and having it be exaggerated in that fashion. She's using his uh, self-esteem as a, as a speed yeah. bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, let's just get into it. I mean, honestly, she, she really remind me a lot of, and I don't know if he drew from it because he's, he's on a different level, but Aronofsky uh, for Requiem with a Dream, Ooh, or for yes. a dream uh, the mom in that one. Like, there were a lot of parallels, I felt like, just outside. I feel like the mom wasn't as bad in Requiem, but in terms of how she treated others, but still, like, kind of that same sense of, like, you're stuck in this shit apartment, you don't really leave, mm-hmm. you watch the same shit on TV every day, you're slowly going crazy as a result. Yeah, they, they just manifest a little differently because she's actually in um, Requiem for a Dream. She's actually taking diet pills, which were at the time were technically right, speed, right. and it actually fuels to her kind of losing it. Where it seems like his mother in um, the the Dark Backward uh, probably doesn't feel good about herself, so she's projecting her like you're never gonna amount to anything. I don't know what you're doing yeah, that you, for. My you're kids stupid. are garbage, man. Fuck she's just sitting like... in a bed smoking all day. She's just probably not feeling good about herself, and in turn, she's ruining his mental health right yeah she's taking it out on him and refusing to acknowledge his developments as a person there was something that i did like when we we go to her we're watching the cartoon do you remember the cartoon yeah that was very well animated actually well animated and it's so satisfying for somebody (laughs) who watched like the old looney tunes like it was very tom and jerry yeah except he gets the fucking mouse. Like, he <laughs> gets the mouse. Like, I've never seen that happen before. Oh, yeah. I, I had a legit. I mean, like, yeah, that was pretty whenever cool. you watch Roadrunner, you like get him. That's just. Get I remember, smug. you know, <laughs> smug bastard, smug bird, he, like stops at the end of the road just so he can meet me, <laughs> just to piss him off more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it, but that was, uh, and I think that's tied to again where uh, again the central character is a comedian, mm-hmm. so you have to view it like a comedian. 
archetype is going to be hypersensitive to any criticism, especially from his mom, especially from his friends. So mom's supposed to be number one. Yeah, <laughs> and again, like I, there was a scene like it, it's a throwaway one. It really doesn't mean much, but there's a scene when he's he's in bed with uh, Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, and he leans over to her, and he it's right before they're about to go to sleep, and he's just like, "Hey, I came up with some new material." And she doesn't even care to hear his joke. She just is like, oh, you're out of milk. And then it ends. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it's things like that, again, where it's like, she's never portrayed to be like a horrible character. In fact, at times she she says all the right things whenever they show up at her diner after the comedy shows, in fact. Like, she always says, like, oh, I knew you'd be great. Oh, I knew they love you, even though Bill Paxson's lying about how it went over. But it's those important sequences when he's actually trying to be intimate with her and be like, hey... It's kind of a big deal. Like I'm working on my material. It's like, and it's kind of you know suggested they just got done like you know having sex. And, yeah. No. But you know she's okay with that with him. But like when it comes to hearing like his material or whatever, she's just indifferent. She's. I kind of want to rewatch this now just because <laughs> of what like how you put it like the heightened reality. Like I think there's some stuff going on with like just mental illness in general with this movie. Right. Because I would say that he's depressed. More or less, he's depressed, and I think that the reason why backs turned, she's just not really, not not really caring that much, is because he probably is just low energy, just doesn't really feel good about himself, and she can't, you can't feed off of somebody and have good, in, like have good energy as well, right? So I think that's kind of what why she's just like eh, kind of yeah, indifferent. I, like. I think that all like feeds into the the resolution of the story is that to me, I, I viewed it as like if you strip away all the weirdness of it, like if you. Yeah. Take it down. If you take it down to the barest of bones, it's it's like a comedian's path to mm-hmm. to not success, but just like finding their act. Right. And the biggest thing that comedians need to do to gain material is live life. And it's kind of like this guy's. This is just a speed bump in his life that kind of got him rolling. I guess. Where I it's could... like instead of trying to create these these jokes just from from the ether, now he's like drawing from his actual experiences he's actually starting to live a bit well back to like the stand-up comedy the audience doesn't laugh with him and he's trying to connect with them and they even even mentions it like people like jokes when you try to connect with them but they can't connect with him but at the end uh it's because he's not putting any of himself in the joke yeah like it's just exactly stuff it's just noise and and real quick the way this ends is that they go on the show uh, what is it? So they're on TV. They yeah. perform. They go on the Twinkie Doodle show. Twinkie Doodle. They go out. Everyone sees them. They kill. Rob Lowe approaches them. Says, hey, we're going to take you to Hollywood. You're going to be famous. And the day they're supposed to leave, uh, John Nelson wakes up and he no longer has the arm. And so now he's he's devastated. It's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And normally this is when you would have the happy go like, oh, you never needed the arm. Yeah. You were funny all along. <laughs> but instead it doesn't happen. Instead they say, nah, fuck it. Bring along the accordion guy. We're good with He's him. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I had a Rob Lowe joke that I wrote down watching this. You'll get it for sure. Because uh, I saw him and I'm like, this is kind of his character from Wayne's World. <laughs> He's looking at this act and I'm like, purchase feeble three arm slash accordion comedy act and exploit it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's literally his character, though. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it's really honestly a cameo role. Yeah. So I feel like that was really... He got to wear the nose, prosthetic nose and teeth. And yeah, everything. no, he had fun with it. and it, Mocking people exactly like that. Yeah, right? people that he probably had to deal with before his career took off. Exactly. <laughs> it's, 
So, but anyway, the, the end is that Bill Paxton leaves, goes off to become a big star, and then Judd Nelson is alone now because there's this awkward sequence where Bill Paxton caused Laura Flynn Boyle and him to bl- split up. Yeah, that creepy was, sequence. That was weird. Yeah, it was <laughs> um, a little odd. I, the only thing I'll say about it, and I don't defend it because again, it's a sequence that makes me uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. and I don't think it was necessary. The only thing I can think of though is in this era of cinema. A lot of sequences like that were done to make fun of the movies from like the 1950s where like John Wayne would essentially pin somebody up against a wall and kiss them. <laughs> yeah. And they'd yeah. be punching him and kicking him and shit and then all of a sudden they fall in love and that's the resolution. Yeah. Because like I know in like Heathers there's some awkward scenes like that too with like Christian Slater and Winona Ryder where you watch it now in this context and it's like that's disgusting. Yeah. But at the time it was making fun of like this dashing hero just grabbing a woman by her mane and you know, shoving his tongue down her throat, and that's what shows her that he's this wonderful, supportive husband-like figure. Well, we actually have a pin in uh, Heather's because that's one that I don't think you've seen. No, I have not. And I kind of wanted to watch because I didn't know. I don't know how to describe the movie, but it, you mentioned it, and I might have to rewatch it now because it might be problematic. Uh, <laughs> but Nicolette, uh, Bill Paxton's number one in yeah. this movie, <laughs> is in Heather's, is also that's in right. Heather's, yeah. who's also. That's odd that she's kind of playing a similar character where we're kind of laughing at her weight and she's... Yeah. Well, I mean, here's some things to remember, too. Like, And, and again, the, the only reason I would ask you guys to go through watching this terrible, terrible film is it gives you some perspective that I think gets lost in the era we're in with movies. Like, we're in an awkward time now where there's so much data that the data is actually driving more things and creating films than actual creativity. Now, this is an example when creativity is given too much freedom and nothing brains it back in as a reminder that, like, hey, people might not get this, or, mm-hmm. hey, this is just kind of gross. We shouldn't do that. Well, but when you take that all into account, you know, you have to figure, like, who do you think this guy drew inspiration from? Definitely uh, David Lynch. Definitely John Waters. John Waters, John Waters big know, time. That was that era. These were He was, like, the next generation of guys who saw those movies, blew his mind, and wanted to recreate that sort of environment. Terry Gilliam, did he do Brazil? Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> that, that, was, that well, one that I saw was Brazil. Like, taking things back to a previous episode that Kyle and I did, um, Nothing But Trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned that earlier. Um, I like to think of this as the Beetlejuice era of Hollywood. So Beetlejuice came out, what, 88, I think? It was, And yeah, it made it, all the money. It's, it's like It made ridiculous amounts of money, and look at what it is. It is crazy nonsense, mm-hmm. heavy production design. The art department had a field day with it. Mm-hmm. Does it make a whole lot of sense? Not really. No. But it's thoroughly enjoyable, and it made everyone very rich. And for the next God knows how many years, Tim Burton was cranking out movies on an annual basis, like cleaning up, just mm-hmm. raking in cash. And what that brings to mind is movies like Nothing But Trouble and The Dark Backward, where it's like, if you're a Hollywood producer... And you're looking at Beetlejuice and you're telling yourself, well, that crazy horse shit made a lot of money. This script has some crazy shit in it. It's like, huh, maybe if we do that again, if we give this guy the keys to the castle, maybe he'll make us all really rich with this weird horse shit that everyone's really into at this moment in time. I would argue, too, that this was right in the era where this is the first time you were starting to see people actually go to film school or actually studying film as an art form. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at some previous directors, it was always you just... 
you always hear the story they just kind of like stumbled into it like you would essentially have the guy who went from like carrying camera equipment around like all of a sudden is directing hollywood blockbusters this was the first time where there were actually like people who had resumes they could submit to producers and be like hey look at my little indie film i made in college that kind of has parallels to like blue velvet or whatever and as a producer who is still trying to figure out that formula i was describing it's like right now there there's a formula for anything throw fucking this and that and whatever <laughs> you'll make some money yeah they didn't have that they were establishing it and that's how you got these things greenlit where it was like fuck it let's trust this kid you know the actors seem happy like why not I think through your lens of like a heightened reality where we're seeing everything from how Judd Nelson's character would perceive it, I can see where this could have been a good movie and why they could have been excited about the script because we've kind of touched on like the positive elements even though it's all shit, like it's not a good movie. <laughs> uh, but we've touched on some of the elements, like I see what they were trying to do there and I just, where did it go wrong from there? Well, to me, it's, I mentioned this with the performance. It's not a low-effort production. Mm-mm. Like, there's actually a level of polish to this that shows that care was taken in in the filming of scenes and the reviewing of the script, like like production design in particular. Um, that's why Beetlejuice came to mind is because the production design of this film is very detailed. Uh, t- you mentioned Terry Gilliam. It mm-hmm. has that like cluttered look to it. But it's an organized clutter. Mm-hmm, if you much. look at the construction of Judd Nelson's apartment. I was just going to say, he has a bathtub in his kitchen. Yes. He that's has a bathtub good. in his kitchen. If you look <laughs> at the shelf that's over his bed, there's all sorts of ornaments and weird little knickknacks and stuff. It Somebody cared. Yes. Somebody put a lot of time and effort into somebody putting that together. Them. Just like Nothing But Trouble. Gorgeous film to look at. <laughs> but when you really pay attention to what's happening, when good, good in, luck trying to follow it and good luck trying to be entertained by it. When you step into the Aykroyd's minds, yeah. yeah um, it's a little, I'm little sure the director liked the music. Fuck that. I think it's garbage. And it, I knew you were going to mention that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't get it out of my head because it was terrible. And it, it just like slams into your brain like the moment this movie starts. <laughs> like from moment one. But again, it feels like one of those things where maybe... Maybe the creative energies were being directed towards the wrong elements. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the script needed a little more polish. Maybe some of these themes needed to become more explicit and just text as opposed to subtext. Because there's a lot of attention to detail put into the production design and, and the, the structure of the performances. But it feels like maybe somebody was putting the wrong things under the magnifying glass. You know, like like the signage with the Blumps company and stuff. Did did we really need to have that in every shot? No. Um, back to the necrophilia. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's so one you're of those saying, mark that moment. Yeah, that's, that. that's quite the transition. <laughs> You'll know it when you see it. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned that maybe Bill Paxton's character was so likable that they threw this into like no, this guy's a dirtbag. As 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 the movie progresses, like. I'd say that the scene with Laura Flynn Boyle where he just hits on her, I'm like, I think you could have left out the necrophilia and we just could have gone with that. I, I agree. I think that I would agree. have done um, My take on it is, I think one of the ways you could have made this a better film is I think that they should have ran with that idea, that corporation. What, mm-hmm. what was it? Uh, yeah. Blumps. 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 I think they should have created it where this truly was kind of like a area that's on the outskirts of the corporate world where... 
honestly kind of how this city's set up now where <laughs> yeah. you have like the nice fancy like waterfront like these people have made it they're part of the blums family and then there's the trash that lives on the outskirts and everyone's trying to get through that gate to become a part of the blumps whatever and that they should have made it where him actually going to hollywood was that like yeah. this Just is your escape the city. like and that's why bill paxton's so desperate to join him and that's why like every it should be portrayed where every single character needs to get out because otherwise you're destined to end up like all the people in the comedy club mm-hmm. who are literally all 70 year old people zombies, chain yeah, smoking zombies, zombies to getting drunk just to pass the time like it's suggested but i think they needed to emphasize it they need to have some fantasy elements they need yeah, to have I john agree. nelson actually portrayed like what he's seeing like maybe have him actually be a dashing figure for a change in his head, or maybe well, have him fantasize <clears throat> about being there's, successful. There's, he, does, he never does actually. There's fantasize. like two dream sequences in this movie, and, and they're awkward. They're weird. They're like, both, they're both like hyper real, but not to the extent that it feels like a dream. Like like none of the production design or the angles or the lighting suggests that it's a dream. It just looks like every other shot we've seen. Like um, the first dream sequence we get is. Uh, Bill Paxton comes into Judd Nelson's apartment with James Conn in tow, and he's like, I'm going to help you out, buddy! Yeah. And James Conn pulls out a butcher knife and hacks off the arm from his back, and then he wakes up. But the construction of that scene, like from a visual standpoint, it looks exactly like everything else that's preceded. I thought it was actually exactly. happening. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like that you did nothing to tip me off that that was a dream. Like, why didn't you push the envelope a little bit, you know, make it even more crazy? Like, give, like, Paint James Conn's face red and like make him a demon or, man, or just something. clean it up. That's all you need that to do to make it obvious. Just make it clean because the second fantasy one's the beach one. Yeah, right? the beach uh, when he's with Laura Flynn Boyle. Like he has a dream sequence where she comes out of the ocean, filmed in reverse, which looks really stupid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's he's like embracing her, but then all of a sudden she draws back in terror because he's covered in arms. And then she runs away from him, and he wakes up. But it's it's all shot in a very plain, kind of matter of fact sort of way. Uh, I definitely felt a racer head. As yeah, you mentioned. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure, big definitely. time. Going back to what you're saying about um, escape, mm-hmm. I think that would have been beautiful in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brazil. Uh, there's a couple of shots, not many, in that movie where uh, I forget the name of the gal who plays his love interest in oh, it, gosh. but um, they're on a truck. And they're driving to the outskirts, to the factory zone. And you get this nice wide shot of a miniature. And it's like the entire freeway is lined like end to end with uh, billboards. Mm -hmm. So you can't see beyond the billboards. But beyond the billboards is just like just garbage. It's just like there's nothing there. And then there's the gigantic city and then the factory. And in between that, nothing. Right. Um, I think that would have been really awesome if they had that in this movie. Like, just imagine a scene of, like, a bus that never stops where they live. And, mm-hmm. like, Bill Paxton trying to chase it. Or, like, it does stop, but it's, like, always packed. So, like, there's, like, a guy standing in the doorway. <laughs> and you need to, like, mash your way in there. So it's, like, it's like the escape route. But it's always just out of reach. I think that would have been a nice tease that, like, shows the desperation. and makes it very clear that these characters are stuck and that they can't stay here. And I think that that, that was what they were going for. But they, they didn't again, show it at They all don't show it well, but I think that's what the necrophilia scene was supposed to be, was saying, hey, we're in this shitty part of town where like people are literally garbage to the point where they're just discarded amongst your daily waste. And like, yeah, it's a gross scene with Bill Paxton, but outside of that, it was more 
what they should have just had is a sequence of them finding a body in the yeah. dump and not doing anything. That, yeah, that, that would have been that would have like, done it. Like when they're uh, the, the one time we see them on the job and they're doing a really shitty job. Yeah, they're just throwing garbage. Yeah, they're at not the even truck. throwing it into the truck. They're like bouncing it off the truck. Well, Jackson s- just picks up something, looks at it, and puts it back. Yeah, down. they're <laughs> terrible garbage men. <laughs> I mean, that would have been really novel though if like they find a corpse and don't even react to it. They just throw it in like exactly. you would anything else. That would have. That would have sold it for me. That would have done quite a bit to, to tell me what kind of world this is. That would have darkened the tone a little bit too much. It's, it's, I know. It's I a know. movie covered head to toe in shit. I know. Bill Paxton is not clean I'm in a single shot side. of <laughs> But you mentioned John Waters. And mm-hmm. while I'm not familiar... While I haven't actually seen his films, I'm familiar with his oeuvre. <laughs> and, and the one thing I know of John Waters is that despite putting some awful imagery in in his films and putting some terrible actors in his films the one thing i do know about him is that he has a deep genuine love for all of those people mm-hmm. and the one thing i really notice about this one is that it does feel like david lynch lynchian or john waters-esque but without that that extra level of sincerity because, like, the Nicolette lady, the, uh, yeah. the, his the number one. Yeah, his <laughs> Bill number Paxton one. has a very heavy set uh, girlfriend, I guess. And then two other gals that show up. It's like Cherry and something else. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but these ladies are, are obese, and it's kind of played for laughs. Yeah. Like, like a, lot of the, the, a lot of the reason for them casting obese women is that they're like props. They're like, they're like, elements of the scenery they're they're meant to elicit a response in this case laughter whereas like someone like john waters wouldn't have done that he would put them there as actors as they're people. humans yeah, yeah. they and, exist for and a even yeah. the the zombies in the club and stuff like there's a there's just several close-ups of people with like ruddy complexion under horrible lighting that makes them look as awful as possible and it's very clear that they were cast strictly because they look awful <laughs> so well, it doesn't it has that negative vibe to it that feels exploitative i think the difference between it is this is a young guy trying to mimic that and not understanding what you're describing exactly because i think with john waters you're talking a lot of those bad actors are people that came from his neighborhood yeah. or came from the gay communities he ran in or with or you know it were people that meant something to him and so it was less important the performance and more just showing that they're genuine humans david lynch is David Lynch, he's in his own world. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's but, a mad genius. <laughs> but there is that component of like, every, you can tell he think overthinks everything to how, the point where how many years did Eraserhead take? Seven, I believe. Seven years with that. Yeah, seven years in that seven world. Years. <laughs> seven years with that haircut. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, it, seven I think years. It was about seven years. <laughs> Would so, you like dessert? Are we in a restaurant? Yeah, David Lynch, we're in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at like a uh, Wild at Heart for instance, like David Lynch, where it's like, it's it's another one where it's hyper real and it's exaggerated and you have Nicolas Cage doing this over the top, like Elvis impersonation throughout it, you know, but again, it, it's done in a, you just kind of accept that this is the world. And this one, you're trying to figure it out. And by the end, you get a sense of like what the u- universe is and you don't care. Because you're just like, fuck this movie. I want it to be over with. Yeah. Like, is this movie the premise of Seinfeld? A stand-up comedian trying to find his, his material? Like, if this this is basically the end is just like, like you said, 
he wasn't able to connect with anybody, and then he finally was able to connect with them at the end, and that's and he was successful. Well, well that's why that's, that's interesting. That's how I thought of it. Is it's like yeah. a comedian's journey, like I, that's, find, finding his act. That's more like if you get down to the bare bones. I think yeah. Yeah, that's I mean you could even you is. could even interpret the arm as like veering into prop comedy or something. <laughs> <laughs> like trying his hand at being Touché. carrot top and failing. What well, I would argue that too, yeah, like um, it, it's even. Fascinating now because actually the comedians were making it, their whole thing is everything's got to be real or yeah. rooted in reality. And Steinfeld was kind of the original of that, but yeah. but you look at like the offshoots of like the Louis C.K. of mm. like the there's one in particular who has a show on Netflix. Her name's Maria Bamford. Uh, she's been around for oh, a while. Yes, I do know exactly what you're talking Her about. Her show is kind of the same sort of like Pee Wee's Playhouse, like over the top surreal. But a lot of that is telling her story of how mm. she became a successful comedian because her whole act is about having a nervous breakdown trying to become a comedian and so like when she portrays like her people she grew up in her hometown it's always these like over the top chipper people and church lady folk and edward scissorhands yeah 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 think of that like it it doesn't take place a hundred percent in reality like the pastel colors of the of the neighborhood and the perkiness of the neighbors and stuff it's it's a life story, but put through a few filters. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for entertainment value, but just, you know, memory is a hell of a thing sometimes. Or to emphasize, like, this is what how this character felt something. Yeah. Like I said, kind of with John Nelson's character mm-hmm. again, where it's like when he's his mom's treating him like shit, yeah, she probably is shitty to him, but it really hurts him. And yeah. It's really much. over the top in this movie. And so, I mean... It's a shitty movie. It's a shitty it's a movie. Shitty, shitty it, this movie. was a shitty movie. I think I wrote in my notes that it was like utterly empty. <laughs> like, but the, but you you told me otherwise. Now I I do see that it has value. It's not good. It's not good. But I can see where there could have been a good movie here. Yes. And yeah. I'm glad we unpacked it because yeah I, yeah I'm not gonna. I, Almost kind of want to watch it again. Just you're to, not gonna, I'm not going <laughs> to. Please don't. Don't do that to yourself. It's, it's, it's free, and you're not going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, you're probably absolutely right. Uh, I'm not going to watch it again. But yeah, I actually, you can take something from it now. Yeah. Like actually unpacking it. But and again, like like I said, kind of the thesis for this was that look at it from the perspective of like, when, if you love movies, you love to see the director create their art. Mm-hmm. But there has to be some fine-tuning, because <laughs> if a director is allowed to just do whatever the fuck they want, which the fun directors always do, seemingly, yeah. I think, sometimes you get the dark backward, and sometimes th- you get nothing but trouble. I think Guy Ritchie's doing a, a, a backwards walk, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, he's uh, he's given up his control, and he's just like, fuck it, we're doing it, we're oh. doing King Arthur. Uh, whatever. You're going to pay me how much? Yeah, let's do like, it. Oh, yeah, I hear good things about that Charlie Hunnam, he's a... Fantastic Fun. actor. Lost City of Zed is good. I know you don't. I keep watch hearing it. that. It's but good. Have you seen Crimson Peak? I've. I know he's not great. The no, but but so this is a period piece. <laughs> this takes place in like Victorian <laughs> yeah. Victorian Europe, and Charlie jacked ass Charlie Hunnam is like dressed in like Victorian garb. Yeah. He's just busting at the seams. He looks so out of place. Well, I mean, he's not going to lose weight in between filming Sons of Ar- Anarchy. Like, Well, I mean, yeah. How, how else are you going to put butts in seats? Yeah. You know, all those wives and girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> he's an Irishman, right? 
something like that. He is not American, that's for sure. He's from the UK. I I don't think I've ever seen him actually speak with his natural accent. I haven't Because I can't take his American one seriously at all. Green Street Hooligans, which you're going to be watching eventually. Okay, that's a great film. And he's fantastic. Pacific Rim, he sounded like a surfer bro or something. (laughs) He had this weird, like, yeah. I've heard, it, it's supposed to, I've heard it got better on Sons of Anarchy. Apparently he started off sounding a little British, a little American, and then as it goes on... He well, you do it for like eight years, I yeah. fucking hope yeah, so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... That's I how can... bad this movie was. Like, <laughs> you're just so desperate to find a jump off. Let's point. talk about anything else. In... <laughs> Fuck, well, Charlie Hunnam, yeah. We have plenty to say about him. Well, I would like to do another one of these with Matt before I leave, so... We'll have to find another time to do a... A triple threat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know who's gonna who's gonna pick that one. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out. This yeah. is a tough negotiation process. Yes, it but... is. <laughs> right, there was well, no negotiation on this one. Well, that, that's the dark backward. Yes. I'm glad we all caught up on cinema because yes. I never in a million years would have bothered with this piece of shit otherwise. Yeah. Please don't watch it. Uh, Please. If you tell me your brother recommended a movie, I'm probably not gonna watch it. 